0: This podcast is brought to you by Rupert Neve Designs. Not everyone has the budget, the room, or the production requirements for a console, but everyone wants the sound. And Rupert Neve's consoles have set the sonic bar for over 50 years. The 5060 centerpiece, the 5059 satellite, and 5057 orbit summing mixers bring that classic sound and tonal weight to your rack with the ability to add as much or little vintage vibe as you want. Via Rupert Neve Designs custom transformers, Class A electronics, and acclaimed silk circuitry. As your studio grows, these modular summing units can grow with it. Learn more at rupertneve.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op podcast. i interviewed portland oregon's m ward for our discussion podcast about a year ago And with his new release, Supernatural Thing, it was another opportunity for us to check in. In this episode, Jeff Stanfield catches up with Matt to discuss his love of collaborations, analog approach to recording, and more. Enjoy. Hey, Matt.
1: Hello. How are you? How are you? Not I'm bad. Good. Sorry for the delay. I was in a car. Uh, now I'm here. All good, man. It's good to good to chat with you.
0: Yeah, man. Well, uh, again, thanks for your time, and and uh, I'd love to dig into your new record and and uh, wherever that takes us from there. Great. I'm I'm ready for you. This new record, supernatural thing, again, is full of collaborations, which is something that you have done sort of your whole career. I mean you're, you've, you've got she and him and, and you've got uh, monsters of folk and your records have collaborations and, and this is, this is no different. So you know I was curious you know a why you're so drawn to that and and secondarily, you know what, what are you looking for in those partnerships and collaborations? I just
1: love I love being surprised whether it's uh, whether it means being a listener to someone else's record or uh, to being in the studio, uh, hearing my own songs come out of the speakers. um, And um, I feel like if you're going to make a record uh, that's over 40 minutes long, uh, there should be some surprises. And um, uh, for me, I spend so much of, my musical time with just me, myself, and I, because I'm writing alone and, uh, uh recording, demoing, uh, recording demos alone. It's uh, a great, uh, pleasure to connect with talented friends, uh, from all over the world. If I can, um, it gets me out of my, uh, uh, my bubble that I, I live in when I'm, uh, writing and demoing and um that's those are the first reasons that come to mind but um just i've always loved collaborating and um uh if it can bring some pleasant surprises to the production process and the listening process then it's a it's a huge bonus
0: how do you go about deciding where this collaboration song-wise are going to land are you co-writing these tracks? Or are you writing the songs and thinking, you know, first aid kit would be great for this? Or
1: uh, in the writing process, it's it's all uh, just me alone with uh, my guitar, sometimes piano. After uh, a few uh, months or years of listening to the demo, that's when I'll start hearing uh, other people's voices in the in the productions, and. Um, we will send a note out to see if um, uh, this or that friend is is available and uh, interested. And um, um, I've been very lucky in life to have a lot of uh, talented friends um, who uh, are willing to uh, contribute their time and talent to, to these projects. And um, it's, it's a huge part of um, uh, the enjoyment of, of making records for me.
0: I know that you're still recording, at least as much as possible in the analog domain and realm. Um, how is it working with the collaborations? Are you are you traveling to take taking tapes? Uh, are, are they doing it on their own with your demo, or are you you know do you are you traveling and doing these things in different studios around the world?
1: i'm always recording the tape as much as possible uh covid made it a little more complicated uh in that we did have to rely a little bit more on um some digital tracking but um the entire record by and large is all analog and um that's still my favorite way of recording vocals um and i'm sure it always will be um uh, same way with with drums um I I still feel like the the best drum sounds I've ever heard uh, were analog. And um, I'm still, um, I have less patience with uh, the sound of of drums that have been uh, uh, digitally manipulated and digitally recorded. I know that some people are doing it in a a really incredible way, but I'm still uh, uh, kind of annoyed by it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what is, what is it about the the analog realm that you know has kept you there uh,
1: i guess it's just it it matches up better with all the records that are playing in my head since i was a, a kid um i feel that um um recording cer- certain instruments on analog is is it's not like it's a difficult thing to do to just find a, a tape machine. Um, it doesn't matter how, how you know, um, uh, rich it is, whether it's two inch or half inch or eighth inch. It's, um, to me, it always sounds better than uh, the digital filters. And it's just a matter of personal taste. And if I had to say one reason why, it's because it matches up with uh, the drum sounds I heard on uh You know all my favorite records uh growing up
0: yeah and i I, you know there's something to be said for the process too as well i think you know it goes back to our conversation about the screens you know it's like something may may feel great and then you look at it and it's off the grid, you know, and, uh, yes, you know, yes. that, that opens cans of worms. Right. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation where something felt great and sounded great. And somebody looked over your shoulder and, you know, decided that, well, no, that hit is off. I'm like, you know, and, uh, all right These are things that never happened, you know, not to, not in the too distant past, you know, um, I think people just use their ears and their heart, you know, and their gut. Yes. Um, I, I, I think those little,
1: uh, um, quote unquote mistakes are quite often my favorite things of, of every production I've ever made. Um, digital recording makes it way too easy to smooth those things out. And, um, I think it, it ends up losing soul and it ends up losing, um, um, some of the magic of, of recording, uh, music with, with other humans. And, um, um, that's just been, been my experience.
0: And so back to, you know, did you, did you actually travel and go get to be in the room with, uh, the collaborators on this, uh, record?
1: Most of them. Yes. I went out to Stockholm and, and recorded, um, a song called engine five and a song called called too young to die in Stockholm with a first aid kit. And um, some of the other ones had to be done remotely because of COVID. Um, But um, yes, there was some bouncing around uh, between uh, Portland, Oregon, Vancouver, Washington, uh, Stockholm, Sweden, and a little bit in Los Angeles.
0: Nice. Yeah. Too young to die. Um, you know, you talked about surprises. And so my first listen and having, um, a female voice be the, the lead vocal right out of the gate instead of your voice, that was a, it was a pleasant surprise. It was, it was, uh, you know, just a nice treat and something that I sort of didn't expect. And also when you come in with your verse, it really reminded me of, uh, of Lee Hazelwood in, in a way that, um, I also really enjoyed and I, I may be um, projecting that because I know you and Larry had a conversation about that uh, Lee Hazelwood record, uh, cowboy in Sweden. Yes. Uh, um, but uh, well, I felt like that was definitely um, floating in the ether there. Well, thank you. I, I'm a, I'm a
1: hugely Hazelwood fan. Um, it's, it's a kind of a crazy coincidence that um he did some of his favorite, some of my favorite recordings, uh, in of, of, you know, my favorite Lee Hazelwood recordings in Sweden. Also, maybe there is a connection there that's subconscious or something, but, um, yeah, this, the Swedish, uh, American, uh, hybrid is not something you hear too often in music, I think, but, um, uh, Cowboy in Sweden is, is one of my, my all time favorites.
0: You know, one of the things that you, you talked about was you know the element of surprise and um you know one of the things that made me think of was that there was this great uh am radio station um you know when i was growing up in monterey called kidd and and they played they played everything right it was it was Mm -hmm. such an amazing variety of, of music and um you know, with today with streaming services and, you know, knowing exactly what's coming next and and now the availability of a set list, you know, you know what you're, you know, if you wanted to, you can look up and kind of know what songs your favorite artists are playing at their shows. And so, you know, mm-hmm. some of that's been lost. And I, I remember really just loving that. And I still love a great radio station with a DJ and just that not knowing and that element of surprise about what's next, you know?
1: Yeah, it's just uh, on on so many levels. Um, I think albums can achieve that, uh, but for one reason or uh, another, they choose to um, stay in in one lane. Um, And um, it's still some of my favorite records do that, but I I would say that um, most of my favorite records have have surprises, not just in... um, you know uh style but also in in sound and in uh production styles and um the wide album comes to mind as something that um, um has stayed with me forever I as a kid I heard the wide album and I was just confused in this uh, um, uh, uh way that made me just want to keep listening to try to understand how, how these things that don't seem to um, fit together or back to back on this uh on this record and um um it's um it stayed with me
0: yeah i mean what what are what are some of the records you've been listening to lately or albums that you continue to go back to such as like the white album one of course that is uh for me as well Just. I don't even know if I understood that record at all. The first time I, first, probably 20 times I heard it, you know, when being, being a kid, it, it, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an ACDC record that I could wrap my head around immediately, you know?
1: Yes. And, and nothing against those ACDC or of course or Led Zeppelin not. Yeah. records that, that are, that are just incredible. Um, I feel like, um, I have more of a, um, Capability to explore uh, different things when I'm making records, and um, 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 it's just a uh, a great a great challenge and uh, kind of an adventure to um, uh, see what you can um, see what you can do with putting putting uh, strange colors next to each other.
0: Yeah. I mean, that. yeah. And you've done that on this record too. I mean, I think a tune like, like dedication hour, I can't give everything away. And then you got Mr. Dixon, which seems, you know, on the, uh, or, or even engine five, you know, a little bit more of a rocker. Um, but it, it tells a a complete story. Um, so you've, you've managed to do that on this record for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks. Um, we, we enjoyed the process
0: um on those two tunes that i previously mentioned dedication hour and um i can't give everything away i mean you had talked uh a little bit about i guess one of the tunes some of the lyrics uh from supernatural thing was uh that that elvis had come to you with a message and and um you know those two songs particularly the background vocal treatments are very very hazy and very dream state-esque to me um i may be reading too much into it but they they both you know evoked a real dream-like hazy uh state of mind in in, in a lot of ways for me was that uh intentional
1: um Well, that uh, that's great. Um, I think that analog brings its own built-in haze, and uh, that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to it. Is there's a little bit more room to uh, uh, imagine what you want, and um, um, I think that's yeah, that's speaks to the the magic of of, uh, recording on two-inch tape, and um, uh, also just um, production-wise, just leaving space um and um um not uh playing music to a a click is part of that too i think tempo has a big part of that as well so um yeah those are the uh main things that come to mind i think if 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 that's the impression that's that's being uh received
0: I mean, was there anything specific technically that you did, uh, recording those background vocals or was that a mix thing or, uh, tracked with specific microphones or.
1: It's not a specific kind of microphone. I would say it's, uh, a, a, a volume and a mix thing more than anything else. Um, um, some of my favorite backing vocals are pretty far back in the mix and, um, I think if you um, uh, put them sort of um, too loud and in your face, then they lose that, um, just the quality of, uh, of, of, again, so many records that I, I grew up loving, so many records that inspire these these records. Um, backing vocals is a huge part of, of all the records that I make, and it's important that they're in their place and they're not taking over from the lead vocal or, or any other instrument. I get a lot of joy out of treating them sometimes like a keyboard or an organ. And, um, and that is a lot of times the, uh, aesthetic that we're uh, aiming for in the studio.
0: Yeah. And I, i you know, I've mixed some records where there's been back you know the background vocals were done by somebody that you actually you know knew that was out of the band they were a guest had a name i always wrestled a little bit with like well i kind of want to bury these and make them thin and like put put them out but i don't want to i don't want to offend anyone or feel like they wasted their time by having their tracks buried but um you know every single time i've played those tracks for for the the person that did them they're like oh i really i really like how you how you treated them that way and so that they weren't necessarily uh you know just sort of there for the sake of having their name on the record but it was actually used musically you know
1: yes that that is a, a careful uh uh line uh to toe right um i think that's one of the advantages of you know have being a solo artist instead of a band is you can follow your own vision of, of where the song should go. And, um, uh, for better or for worse, uh, the thing that you're hearing in your head ends up being the thing that's, uh, that's on the record.
0: How, how involved in the, in the mixing are you? Yeah. I, I, uh, work, um,
1: hand in hand with, with my mixing engineers. Um, I, and I've never done it remotely. I think that would drive me crazy. So I'm just in there with the engineer in the room. That is half the fun, I think, of recording, is mixing, uh, as well as mastering. Uh, that would make it one-third, I guess. Um, but uh, the mixing and mastering process is all a joy for me. So I'm uh, I'm right there for all of it. Um, no reason to, to delegate things that that you actually enjoy doing. And, um, I love, um, you know, so many aspects of, of the record making process. Um, the things I like to delegate is everything that's not involving music. And that is the business side of it, which is pretty
0: distasteful to me. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, and that was extremely polite. Um, (laughs) um, you know you talked a little bit about how you choose your musical collaborators how about um and and i'm not saying that they're not musical collaborators still but on the technical side um for engineers uh mixers and mastering engineers what do you look for there well um you know i i've been lucky to have
1: great friends uh ever since i started um who are great engineers and um when they're not available they recommend people and um i met uh as far as portland is concerned when i first started recording here it was with my uh an old college friend named adam selzer who had a studio here called type foundry and uh, he turned me on to tape op and larry crane and that's when i started to work with larry crane and so it's um um I think, I think a big part of it is the same way that I, I get exposed to musicians is, is word of mouth, a, a web of uh, friends through through uh, through other friends. I've uh, been lucky to work with uh, engineers that just have great ears who understand that not um, every uh, production needs to be pre-programmed. I think half of the success of a, of a record comes with leaving the door open to chaos and things that aren't um, pre-programmed. And um, that means putting importance on capturing moments when uh, maybe musicians aren't uh, ready to be recorded, things like that. So yeah, that's a big part of of the the, um, instincts of my favorite engineers is that they know that you know, the, the pre-programmed elements of, of every song in production is only half the story.
0: Were there uh, any happy accidents that you can share from this these last sessions for this uh, Supernatural Thing r- record?
1: Yeah, I mean, every song has, has them. And um, the ones that don't probably n- never make it to the record, uh, that David Bowie cover, I never intended to... Put this on on to put it out at all. I did it just for fun because I loved that melody so much, and I uh, spent a lot of time uh, learning other people's songs. And so I learned this song and um, decided to see what would happen if we replaced Bowie's uh, melody uh, with a saxophone instead of words. And so we called up two saxophone players. One of them was Jim James and another guy named name, Kelly Pratt. And, um, putting them together was just, was, was a giant, uh, happy accident. Really. The, um, production idea was just to see what would happen if we, we give them, uh, David Bowie's vocal melody and they turn it into saxophone and, and just see what happens. And so, uh, we received a bunch of, a bunch of tracks and, um, um, did some juggling and i really love how that turned out
0: yeah that's a great one i mean that that one put me right back into the way i feel when i listen to like um us and them off dark side right. of the moon and um waiting on a friend from the stones <laughs> oh great I love both those songs <laughs> yeah i mean well, i I, I obviously they're both they have like very signature saxophone um, moments in, in in those songs but again it was that hazy and um dreamy quality to the to the mix and and the production choices and and the playing you know that really sort of lends itself to uh creating a a a real evocative feeling and and a visual for me you know i mean i always whenever i hear music that makes me feel that way i i i see something and i feel something and it's very nostalgic in a way and it makes me think of you know, my teenage years in a, you know, early September and the light being a certain way. And, you know, you know, it's rare to find those records. I mean, they're out there and it's it's, it's why I love a lot of dub music and, and uh, you know, certain production elements and things like that, that uh, sort of take me to those places. Because I think that if music doesn't make you feel something um, and paint pictures for you, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lost opportunity. So.
1: I, I agree. And and that's very well said. Um, I, I feel the same way.
0: You started recording early on. I mean, you you have had your hands on recording equipments uh, uh, from early on in your career and, and obviously probably when you were in high school. And I read that you you got a four track machine and that you still have the same machine or one similar to it that you're uh, you're still record on it and you still do your demos on it. Is that correct? Yes,
1: yes. It's an uh, old Tascam Porta Studio four two four, and uh, I bought it in high school uh, in Ventura County uh, for probably about a hundred and fifty dollars. It was a, kind of a big deal for me, and um, it uh, yeah, it was it was the gateway drug that got me into uh, recording and probably changed my life. And so it's. Uh, I've never looked at it and said, I got to get rid of this thing. It's more like, okay, this is a, uh, this is a life changing, um, um, piece of equipment. And I, I don't see any really equipment like that, um, uh, in my life at all, other than this, this thing. Um, all my, all the guitars I had in high school and, and amplifiers are all gone, but that's, that's, this thing actually still works. Sometimes it's a three track, but um, <laughs> you you hit it with your knuckle, and it becomes a four track. Sometimes, so it's yeah, it's it was a great purchase, and um, I still use it now because um, it has a sound. As as people who've worked with cassette tapes know, uh, it's it can't be duplicated on Pro Tools uh, or or any any other any other way and um growing up I listened to uh Daniel Johnston cassettes and um uh of course um you know the White album and eventually <laughs> discovering records by people like Robert Johnson and uh, John Fahey and and uh realizing that uh, ha- and of course I, I should say guided by voices also gave me confidence in um in I hate the word lo fi, but um, and I I no one has ever probably called Robert Johnson's recordings lo-fi, but in my mind they're uh they're operating on the same wavelength as as Daniel Johnston's records. And that's just a um uh, low fidelity uh experience. But somehow it's more emotional for that uh for that reason. And um yeah, a big a big part of that is due to due to this uh due to the technology that, um, I think that these, these little task scams, uh, offer at least they, they did in the past. I don't know if they're still making them.
0: Yeah. I don't know if they're still making them, but I certainly know people that, um, have access to every digital, um, you know, all the new tools and still, uh, are working in that way and, and prefer to work that way, and are still finding enjoyment and inspiration from from an inanimate object. And you know, I think that's what gear sp- should do. I mean, I, we've 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 gotten to fetishize gear so much, and you know, I think it's uh, important to remember that part of what it should do is is inspire you. Um, mm-hmm rather than just be a, a medium to capture something and and uh you know it can be part of the process in a way and i, I think there's something so dead on about that emotional in- intimacy and and capturing when somebody's sort of in their most quiet private moments to in their bedroom with a four track you know there's it's just unparalleled you know and when people record into their iphones just playing their guitar in their Room even that to me, is there's something about that that's so immediate, you know,
1: yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, yeah. as something is quite often lost when when you uh, go into a big studio and you're suddenly working on the clock, um, it's obviously not true all the time, but uh, it's it's been my experience that that uh, both ways are are worth a listen and uh, worth uh, worth comparing.
0: So do you, uh, plan on releasing or have you in the past released those, uh, the, the demos that you make?
1: The only time I've ever done that was, uh, um, a record I made that I, I wasn't really expecting to release into the world. Uh, but it was a few years ago and it was called think of spring. And, uh, the idea was to take this Billie holiday record called lady in satin that I grew up loving, um, into a, uh, four track, uh, just vocals and, uh, guitar production. And, um, I have no plans to do, to put out more, uh, four track recordings. I'm sure that there will be some in the future, but, um, yeah, that, that Billy Holiday, uh, tribute record is the only time I, I've ever really done
0: that. Nice. Well, that's, uh, I think we got a lot of great stuff. Great. Again, appreciate your time and, and really uh, love this record, so thank you.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, it was great talking to you. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good day. Bye, too. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapebob.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time.